Hi everyone, it's Dina McKay, and I'm back with a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged, the podcast that allows Blacks in tech to share their authentic stories with you, the listener. On each episode, the guest talks about how they got into tech, their work in the industry, and lessons they've learned during their journey. You can find full show notes for this episode on blacktechunplugged.com. On this episode, I have Chris Witherspoon, and Chris is the founder and CEO of Pop Viewers a content discovery platform delivering next-level customer sentiment to studios, content creators, and brands. Pop Viewers allows its diverse users, the audience, to become the critics, recording quick and authentic reactions to what they've watched. They give the TV show or movie a score and share their media across the platform's network so people can decide what to watch next. Besides being a founder, Chris is also an entertainment journalist, producer, and entrepreneur with a signature accessible approach to media and culture. He served as an entertainment correspondent for Fandango and CNN and was the entertainment editor for NBC's TheGrio.com. He is an alumnus of the prestigious NBC Page program and of Ohio University, and Chris is a fellow Ohioan like me. So on this episode, we talk about Chris's journey as a founder. We also talk about his role in Founding in Color, which Black Tech Unplugged is a proud podcast preferred partner with. And lastly, we talk about funding, everyone's favorite topic if you're a founder. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you do, rate and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to this episode today. Now let's get it. and welcome to a brand new episode of Black Tech Unplugged. I'm joined with another founder from Founding in Color, Chris Weatherspoon. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Hi, Dina. It is going great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to come here and have a little kiki. Yes, yes. I love a good kiki. So I'm excited too. So Chris, to start off, I want you to check in, give your name, your location, how long you've been a founder. Awesome. My name is Chris Witherspoon. I'm located in New York City which is very bipolar this year, you guys. It's like cold one day and summer the next day. Very scary, but I'm kind of here for it because not much snow. My title, founder and CEO of Pop Viewers. And I also do some work as an entertainment contributor for NBC News and MSNBC. And my company that I run, it is Pop Viewers. We're a content discovery platform delivering next level customer sentiment to studios, content creators, and brands. And Chris, how long have you been a founder? So I've been a founder technically for about four years. We launched our company two years ago, but I consider myself a founder from the moment I got that LLC and really began trying to piece together how to create this company. I was finding this company. So I was a founder. Oh, and I love that attitude you have about it because a lot of times we downplay the founder part and we're like, well, you know, I didn't really start doing work until like two years in. So that's when I'm a founder. No. I think when you put the seed in the ground, Dina, you become a founder. When you put that seed in the ground and the whole time you're watering it, you're tilling the soil, you're nurturing it, you're trying to find the right place to grow it and get the most amount of sunlight. You're a founder at that point. When it blossoms, everybody else sees it. But you've been found that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I definitely know what you mean. And Chris, you mentioned also that you already were in front of the camera before, because I know you're in Founding Color, and we'll get to that later in the interview. But you also had 
other roles before you became founder. So you were doing entertainment journalists and you were on different networks. And I want to just add that piece because a lot of times people consider that your quote unquote side hustle or your side mm-hmm. business or however you want to put it. But how are you balancing Pop Viewer before you went into it full time? So how are you balancing both acts? Well, you know, I would say that the act that I had, and I love that you call them acts, the act that I had as a entertainment journalist, it's really what made me know that I had to create this company. About five years ago, I really hit a wall where one, I wasn't that fulfilled doing what I was doing. I think that there's sometimes your ego can get caught up in being on camera, going on today's show, going on MSNBC, or I was doing some stuff for CNN. But I begin to realize that like, there's so many problems that I'm seeing in this industry that I'm covering. And I know that there's more to me than just talking about these problems and talking about the box office, talking about what folks are watching. And so it was in my frustration. And also, I think that whatever you believe in God, the universe, it kind of stopped me in my tracks at a certain point where it was like, okay, there's literally a crossroads here. You can go down the same road you've been going on, get another talent deal, or you can take a beat and get in stillness and realize what it is that you're equipped to do. And that was to create this company. And it was like, it was me, Dina, being a Black journalist, covering Oscar So White, covering a lot of films and shows that critics might not have necessarily thought were great, but that I knew Black audiences were watching. I was seeing these micro conversations on social media had these macro effects in the newsroom, but there was no way of really quantifying that. And really able to peel back beyond just, okay, it was trending on Twitter and it did really well Thursday night. Or it was trending on social media and a lot of folks went to go see this film. They were supposed to only make $10 million, but made $50 million from an all-Black cast. So I wanted to create a platform that allowed audiences to be able to discover their new content, their latest binge or show. But more importantly, be able to have those metrics that we can then use in the media, that I could then use as a journalist I say I moonlight as a journalist. I'm a contributor, but really my full-time day-to-day job is running pop viewers. And what's great is when I do get to say yes to going on a show to talk about mostly what folks should watch, I come on as founder and CEO of Pop Viewers, and they mention that I'm also an NBC News or MSNBC contributor. And it's just great. It's great branding for us. And it's also great for me to get feedback from audiences that are watching in real time who might download the app and hit me up or DM me after a segment. So I love that. That's amazing, Chris. And I like that you say that doing the entertainment journalism, that's your side, but you are fully invested in your company. I just, I really appreciate that you even made that comment. Yeah, I'm all in with my company. And I think that if I can be honest, I wouldn't be doing the entertainment journalism if it wasn't me primarily covering TV shows and movies. It only enhances what we offer on the app for me to continually be plugged in to what's in the pipeline, what content is coming, and really what people are predicting will do really well, and then kind of matching what the experts say to our audience and to what's happening on Pop Viewers. And one of the big goals is for me to begin doing in real life events for our users so that they're getting these perks and experiences that I know already exist. I've been invited to so many darn watch parties and advanced screenings this month put on by the big film studios and the networks. I think because of what I've been doing and what I do, I want to kick that door down and get our users that same access this year. Excellent. And can I get a little sneak peek of what a live event would be like? Okay. Yes, Dina, come on. Um, 
<laughs> Listen, when you go to live events right now, like for example, I've been invited. And I, I think I can say this. I've been invited by stars to come to a dinner, a screening, and then Q&A after the screening for one of their shows. Maybe I should name the show. But one of their hit shows is part of the Power franchise. And it's going to be a Q&A with the cast afterwards and a dinner. So for me, that's a very industry thing, probably mostly journalists, maybe a few entertainment influencers. But for me, it's like creating those early screenings of a show or a film that come out maybe the week before this going to hit theaters or hit TV. And then having that Q&A, that's what I do, Dina. So I can easily get a couple cast members to attend on behalf of the studio. And then afterwards, have an open bar, have a DJ, have a really connection and experience around this content. What I realized with our users is we might not have that much in common in our politics or our worldviews, but we both watch Poker Face or we are both watching or binging Raising Canaan on Stars. So it's really bringing together people, having that intimate experience where they can really meet a cast member, a director, a producer, a close to the afterwards, we're going to break out and have drinks and we're going to dance and have a little bit of fun. And do you think your events will be nationwide or do you think you'll start in New York? Because that's where you're based. Yeah. So our plan is to kick them off in New York this summer and we might try to get LA in the mix this summer as well. And then our goal is next year to offer all that learning, roll them out across the country and major cities and find the right partners for us is finding the right sponsors that are willing to join us on this journey. And we're getting a lot of great conversations going. But the good news is movies and shows, they're all, all across the country. It used to be we kind of were fragmented as a society, but I feel like now everyone has Netflix. Everyone has HBO Max at this point. And we're all watching the same thing. So we could take this to Denver, Colorado, or we can go to Ohio where I'm from and Cleveland. And chances are there'll be folks lined up because we're all watching the same things. Right. And I'm from Cleveland. So yes, if you have something in Cleveland, I will go. I will make the trip. Wait, I didn't know you from Cleveland. I'm from Warren, Ohio. Oh, yes. Ohio Unite. (laughs) Ohio. (laughs) Okay, Chris. So we obviously talk about shows on Twitter. That's part of what Black Twitter does, amongst other things. So why take it from the Black Twitter space to its own app? What inspired you? A couple of things. Well, one of them is I sometimes get really inundated watching content early before it actually drops. And I miss a lot of things that everyday people who aren't in the industry are watching. And what I realize is a lot of times whenever you do discover something 10 weeks later, like I'm watching Raising Canaan, the first season right now, because okay. my put me onto it. But I don't want to go on Twitter and discuss episode two, season one, when it's already fixing to be season three. I can't do that. My whole Twitter feed, people are like, what? What are you talking about? Like, that's old. That's late. What I'm realizing, there's so much content that really is evergreen and people are no longer watching things in real time. A lot of folks aren't watching Abbott Elementary when it airs on ABC at 8 p.m. when it's trending, but they might not want to join the discussion around episode two or when they're watching it, no longer live, but they're watching it. So I think creating a space that really has that evergreen appeal where there's one, no shame around what you're watching. Cause I'd be watching some really weird stuff on TLC that I am not going on social media to talk about, but I will come to popular to talk about it because that is my circle. It's a more safe circle. It's non-judgmental, and it's more siloed around just TV shows and movies. I think that going on Twitter where people are talking about politics some nights and really heavy social justice matters, sometimes you don't want to flood your feed with what you're watching every single night. 
in every single day because I'd be watching shows in the afternoon too. So I think that being able to have a platform that's just for that is really important. And then lastly, the analytics. A lot of us don't realize in the Black, Latino communities how important our consumership and our viewership is right now. We really are shifting culture. And unfortunately, Twitter is not providing analytics around the power of Black Twitter. We know it's a thing, but Twitter is not going to the studios and saying, all right, hey, Netflix, just so y'all know, this many Black folks were engaging around the crown and you have no Black characters on the show, but here's these analytics that can help you make better content. Twitter's not doing that. No platform's doing that, but we are. So in the future, do you see yourself partnering with different production companies or other companies in general that are dealing with entertainment to provide those analytics? Because I think that is a very unique value proposition. 100%. I mean, listen, as we talk to a lot of the big studios, what we're learning is they oftentimes test content with focus groups. The Mm -hmm. same focus groups that are testing detergent and dish soap and organic food. And what's unfortunate for them is they don't have a really strong gauge around what else these folks have watched and if they really enjoyed these particular genres of content that they're testing them for. So for us, it's really about having our users and our pop viewers become a part of the studio system so that if we have 20,000 verified users who are highly engaged, Amazon says, we want to come to pop viewers and we'd love to have 1,000 Black women who watch Harlem to have an advanced screening of the first episode of the new season and then do a survey for us around how we should market it, what's working, what's not working. Those things are super, super valuable. And it's like you shouldn't have to go to focus groups where they're piecing together just random folks that want $200. Come to us. We can pay our users too. But at least we know that they're locked into content and we can also curate that audience for you because we know exactly what they've watched and favored over the past year and a half. Chris, in a way, your app then is helping individuals become TV influencers, right? That's it. I would love at the end of the day when this is all grown out to where it's going to be that we have an army an army or a collective of users who really can replace me. You know what I mean? They really can be the folks that the media is quoting. That's what we're seeing happen now in media. You're seeing a lot of Twitter users and social media users. They're dominating news discussions. I would love for our users to begin doing that around content, around the shows and films that we're watching. And what a perfect time to do that, because like we've been mentioning, Twitter has been the main platform for some of these conversations, right? However, we've seen what's happening with Twitter. We're not really sure how much longer it might exist, but there's already a really great replacement with pop viewers where you can still get that content, still have that engaging conversation with other people who are watching shows you like, and you get to share your opinion too. So I feel like it's a win-win-win. Thank you. I'm going to take your marketing message and like use this. We can cut that little soundbite and use it for a commercial. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. (laughs) We've been talking about the app and I want to go into a little bit more details now that we've hyped it up. So for someone who's getting pop viewers, what are the features and what is the functionality of the app? What does it look like for a user? First off, it's available to download in the Apple App Store. Our Android is not quite ready yet. We'll put it out sometime late spring. But the user journey is pretty simple. When you come on, if you've ever used Tinder or any dating app, you're familiar with swiping on people. As you swipe on shows and films across all genres, all platforms, things that are in theaters, old movies, as you swipe, we learn about you. 
and we're able to suggest content for you just for you. You can watch a trailer to any film or TV show that we have on the platform, and we have them all. And you can also leave reactions to what you're watching. So think about if you want to watch The Mandalorian right now, come on the app and you can see real reactions from real people and a crowdsource score for The Mandalorian. So there's this UGC piece to the platform, but there's also content discovery. You can keep watch lists. If you have a watch list from your girlfriends, you can create one just for your girlfriends that they told you to watch. You can have a watch list of shows and films you want to watch in 2023 so you can keep track of all those things and then share them across other social media platforms. And we do have plans to make a lot of changes and enhancements to the app. So now that what we have right now is really our version one, and we do have plans to put that version two out later on this year that we'll have loyalty rewards. So as you use our platform, the more you use and engage on pop viewers, you'll begin getting points that you can then use to get gift cards to movies, Amex gift cards, all sorts of swag. Our goal is to really incentivize our users to be able to be rewarded for coming to our community and, and, and engaging in the right ways. And everyone loves a reward. Who doesn't want a gift card? So I think that's very great to incentivize the users. But I do have to ask, because I understand the entertainment piece and how you're connected there, but you created an app. Well, I shouldn't say you created it because I'm sure you didn't do the code, but how did you learn the tech side of all of this? What did you do to get up to speed there? Okay. So I played a lot of podcasts back when I told you the seed was planted in the ground and I was watering the seed. Yes. I played a lot of podcasts and then I, I knew what I didn't know. And I think at first I was doing some outreach to some development companies, figuring out how much money it would cost to just do a prototype of this idea that was in my head that I had created. Someone told me to create a napkin sketch, like a one page, you know, literally with my hands, what the app would look like, the functionality in the field. And I did. And then I went to a few different development companies and I realized, okay, they're speaking a language that I just don't know. And I can take some money from my savings and money from a couple angel investors and throw it at this company or at this opportunity. But then I realized, team, I have to have people on my team who know about doing this, who have done this before, so they can help guide me. So I did exactly just that. I went back to my old boss. He was the co-founder of the griot.com, where I had worked in the previous years and asked him to come on as my COO. And then we found a really phenomenal chief product officer. His name is Ben Greenberg, who came on and he schooled us. He schooled us on like the user journey and like all the ideas in my head. He really helped me distill those down into an MVP product that was functioning that we could test against and get lots of feedback on and then go towards a launch. That is amazing. And you talk about building a team. And when you're the founder, you have to find these people to build a team. So what was that process like? Obviously, with your old boss, you already had that relationship and rapport. But sometimes when you're looking for team members, and I've heard this from other founders, it's not easy. So just want to understand your journey a little bit better. Well, I think a few things. I think one of them is before you ever go meet someone to discuss being on your team, you have to get in the space of letting go of your ego. And recognizing that it's not a sign of weakness to say, I don't know X, Y, and Z, or I really need your help with X, Y, and Z. I need you to not just come and give me advice, but lead this part of my team, be a leader. It does not mean you're weak. It means that you're actually highly intelligent and that you're ready to grow in the right ways, to piece together a team of folks that are experts in this field that can come on your team and drive deliverables. So I first had to get that mindset. And then it's just about sitting down. And I think 
recognizing that they're in line with your vision and what I found was when I met with people and if it was just me sitting down and saying, okay, here's my idea for pop beers. Here's what I want to do. And then we're like, okay, here's a couple of questions that I have. And then, okay, I think I can help lead that. If I don't hear someone or if I didn't, and even to this day, if I don't hear you generating ideas as we're talking, if you're not seeing my vision, but then have another sort of like, oh, and have you thought about doing this, 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 and this, then we're probably not a good match. Because I want people that can be yes and folks on my team. Because I find that it's a team collaborative effort to grow this company, to continually evolve the product, evolve what we even offer as a company. I always want to have folks around me who are thinking outside the box. And I'm just thinking back even to the comment where you said you want a yes and. Sometimes you might even want to know and here's why, right? That part, that part. (laughs) That is so true. And I think, again, it's about no ego here. What were your thoughts on the idea that I had? Is it executable? And I think to your point, knowing why. And then also doing my work to listen to that small gut voice that I have to say, okay, does this really resonate with me or do I want to push back? And sometimes you have to push back. But at the end of the day, I really know the folks that have worked for me that are part of my team. There's like more than just a work connection there. I feel like there's like a heart and soul kind of thing that we have going on. We were really in this for the right reasons. So I recognize that anyone's feedback, anyone's pushback is coming from a good place, not a place of their ego trying to flex. It's more like, this is really what my instinct is telling me. And I love to have a healthy discussion around what we should do next. Right. But I do have to add one piece to that. And this is just a personal thing. Don't come to me and say no. And then it's still a problem. At least bring one solution to the table. Because a lot of times people will be like, well, no, and then we still have this problem. So what are we going to do? And it's like, that's not helping us as a team. <laughs> yes. No, it is. You are so right. You are so right, Dina. I think that, again, I'm all about folks that are very, very creative being on my team that have ideas. I want folks that have big ideas and I got to bring you down. I've never experienced on this journey as being a CEO founder, my first time. I haven't experienced folks coming in you just know. It's more like, no, and here's three other things we can do that I think will get you what you want or that we can try to play around with. And those are the folks that I want to work with and and create with and build with and play with. It should be fun. It should be fun. Yes. Yes. Everyone always misses the fun part of all of this journey. Everyone wants to be so serious. Like, let's have fun. Let's dream. Yeah. No, I remember when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, our teachers were really big on like beginning to visualize what you want to do as an adult. And it was like, here's a sheet of paper, here's crayons, here's markers, draw your dream job and what you want to do. And it's like your head down, coloring, bringing all these great colors and people are smiling and vibrancy. And it's like, that's what we dreamed of. We dreamed of this playful environment that we actually got excited about as 10-year-olds or 11-year-olds. We can't lose that at 21 or at 31 or at 41. We have to remember that that's what we dreamed of, something that was vivid and made us excited, whether it was hitting a ball as a baseball player or being a doctor wearing a stethoscope. It was always vivid and lots of colors and vibrancy. And we can't lose that when we actually start doing the work. Yes, exactly. I love that you said that. But Chris, I do want to return to the tech piece just a little bit because being that you are a non-technical founder, but you have an app, I want to know what are some of the lessons you've learned on the journey of learning the tech side that you can share with the listeners? Yeah, I think, again, leaning into my team, we were building the app. 
I had no idea all that's involved in an engineering team and all the different departments. There's just so much that goes in. And you know what helped me a lot? Slack. We had a Slack channel when we were in development and I was on every single channel and I could see what was going on. And I would just sit there and kind of just like eavesdrop on conversations that my chief product officer or my chief technology officer were having with our engineers and then ask questions each week. And I think cannot be afraid to ask questions as to what does that mean? For me, what I was really great on is the tangible testing of the product. So each time we had a build that would come out on our testing platform that we used, it would really help me to be able to see what all those things that they were talking about on Slack, all those kind of, a lot of words I didn't even know, what that would translate into an actual a feature and a functionality, and then going back to the drawing board and making tweaks to that, that process was amazing. And I think more founders that have ideas that aren't technical founders need to enjoy that process more and not let it bring them anxiety. There's a lot of learning in there where you can raise your hand and say, I don't know what you guys just talked about. Can we do an offline discussion where you can walk me through it? Exactly. And listen, I'm happy you know what sprints are, that you (laughs) knew about the development team. That speaks to my heart, like being in tech. That's what I do is I'm a scrum master, a project manager. So I get to see people and different teams that I've worked with create these products. So even for you to know that terminology and things, listen, I'm impressed. (laughs) Listen, I had test flight on my phone for a good nine months. And all we did every two weeks, I had to to delete another version of the app and then install a new one on test flight. And it was, it was really exciting and and it gave me goosebumps. And I would be moved to tears sometimes when I would show people, this is what I'm working on. Although you don't have it on your phone yet, you will soon, but this is like the beginning stages of it. And as it evolved, it just always blew my mind that, oh my God, Chris, you're doing this. And to many people, they probably wouldn't think you could do it because you're not a technical founder, but it was on my phone and I was looking at test flight and I was sending back all these notes and screenshots of what was working and what I thought we could change and make tweaks to and doing a lot of listening. Well, excellent. I'm glad that you were hands-on and you were open to learning because that's half of the battle when, especially if you're non-technical and creating this app or a technical product. So I commend you for that. And now I want to switch gears a little bit. I know we've been talking about pop viewers in the app, but I want to talk more along the founder's journey. So think all the things that you've said in founding in color, but we're going to reiterate a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> so first question I want to ask is, okay, so in founding in colors, we talk about founder's journey, but I want to hear from you in your own words and from your own experience. What is it truly like being a founder? It's humbling. You really dream to dream that's very unique. You probably don't see a lot of folks around you who are doing it. So you probably don't have that many examples to pull from. So it's really a lot of soul searching and being okay, not knowing what the next two months, three months are going to look like. A woman who I really admire, who has had a PR agency in New York for a very long time. She told me that her and her husband, they love to go mountain climbing. And she said that when we go mountain climbing, we've been doing it for like decades and decades and decades, you can only climb three feet at a time. You have to plant your stakes, get those three feet done, and then you move on and you plot your next three feet. So you can't plot the whole mountain at one time or even dare thinking about it. She said, running my company the past 30 years, I've lived in three-month buckets. Of course, I know I have a vision for my next year, but I go three months at a time. And I've learned as a founder, it's very much that. You have a vision. You probably don't have gas in the tank, aka funding. (laughs) 
to get your vision through the next year. But when you're really getting your company off the ground, you kind of live in these three-month buckets. A few things we can do with this little tranche of funding to get some miles or some mileage on our journey. So it's a lot of uncertainty, but it's waking up every morning inspired and really recognizing that if someone said to you, okay, here's a pass to get out of this. Do you want to take it? No. Even now, there's not one moment on this journey where I would ever have taken that pass to jump ship. And Chris, we're going to touch on funding. So don't worry about that. We are going to touch on what that journey looks like because it's a whole nother beast. But before we jump into that, in Founding in Color, you mentioned that when you were going to speak to, I guess it was different investors and funders that you would give them or present to them what you think a founder should be. Basically, you weren't yourself. And over time, you learn to be authentic and share that with the person that you're speaking with. So my first question that I want you to answer is, when you were going into these meetings, what were you presenting? Okay, so I played a lot of podcasts. I was listening to a lot of How I Built This. How I Built This, the podcast, I played it all the time. And I was hearing a lot of founders who were maybe a little bit older than I was, a lot of folks that went to Ivy League colleges who had technical backgrounds. And I think that also from my background of being in television and working as a journalist, you kind of learn to have this onstage personality mm-hmm. or your onstage way of presenting yourself. And then you're off camera, you relax, you chill, whatever. And so what I began doing was getting very tense and feeling as though when I'm pitching, I'm performing. I'm performing this version of the founders that I heard on how I built this, the version of the founders that I've heard on the Shark Tank shows, and then also the version of someone who is very corporate, professional, who's a CEO. Whatever that looks like, I had that idea in my head. And what I recognized, Dina, fairly early on is trying to be someone else is so exhausting. And the results that you yield oftentimes aren't favorable. And what happened for me is when I began stopping the whole performing aspect of trying to perform a version of Chris Witherspoon, founder and CEO, and just be Chris Witherspoon, who happens to be a founder and CEO, that's when I would get people saying to me, how much are you raising? How can I help? When I let go, and not to get spiritual, let go and let God, (laughs) that's when magic happened. That's when miracles happen. But I really think that what was happening for me was I was able to shine through in a way that was authentic and people can spot authenticity from a mile away. And I think my authenticity, my passion shined through even more when I wasn't trying to be a CEO, but let them see my story and my reason and my why for wanting to go to this company. Yes. I love that. And we get spiritual on here. So you feel free, you know, to drop gems from that perspective. So I'm good with that. Was there ever an aha moment where you were presenting and you were like, this isn't it. I just need to be my authentic self. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was fairly early on when we first launched the app and I was doing really my second pitch. This was all via Zoom because we're in the middle of the pandemic. There were probably a good like 50 investors on this call. It was an angel investor forum. Mm -hmm. And I can remember that I was going through the pitch, but I left out all the personal parts of what really make the story authentic and true. And I could feel myself kind of beginning to stutter and stammer and my mouth getting dry. And, you know, my therapist, because I was also began therapy a few years ago, she's really big on for me being present in the moment with what I'm feeling, what my body is telling me in those moments about any interaction that I'm in. And I realized that I I felt that fight, flight or appease sort of thing happening for myself. Mm -hmm. And I really realized that, Chris, 
you're not being yourself. You're operating from a place of scarcity and not abundance. And towards the end of the call, I did begin to breathe easier and feel better, but I kind of made a promise to myself. We're not doing this again until you really are comfortable being yourself and you're going into this from a space of abundance and you're not so fearful of not saying the right thing or not getting them to want to bet on you. You're so full of who you are that they're getting the overflow. And that's what I began doing. I began getting in that space, listening to whatever song I had to, getting so hyped up that before I did those calls, I was loose. I was free. And they were getting the overflow. First off, I know I told you to get spiritual. You didn't have to deliver gospel. (laughs) Now, I mean, there's so many people who need to take what you just said and actually put that into their routine. Because so many people have that same thought process. A lot of people don't know how to get to their authentic self. And I think that will help a lot of people. I'll tell you, I heard something from Oprah before, and it kind of helped me break through with the authenticity part, was that she was saying that before she does anything, any meeting, any phone call, even with friends, she does a check-in on how she's feeling. And she's like, is my cup full or is my cup halfway full? And she says, if she's not full and overflowing, she stops what she's doing, cancel a meeting, cancel appearance, or just say no. And she says, what her job is, is to do whatever she has to do to get her cup, not just full, but overflowing. And she was like, when you're in the overflow, that's when you can move mountains. That's when the magic happens. And that's when folks get the very best of who you are. So she said, there was a phrase she heard many years ago, people would say, oh, you're so full of yourself. And she says she feel kind of bad when someone says that. But she says now she's like, darn right I am. I am so full. I am flowing over. And y'all are getting this abundance, this energy that I have because I've tapped in, I'm tuned in, I'm tapped in, and I'm turned on. And you're getting the extra that I have to give you. Because you can't give anybody the kind of energy and the kind of story and the kind of deliverable that you need to raise your funds if you are not full of yourself and overflowing that they can actually feel it and match it. Ooh, that is a word. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, too, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of funding, because in a founder's journey, especially if you are looking for investors, funding is one of the hardest parts, especially being a person of color. So I do want to touch on funding for a moment. First question I have is what made you have investors funding your vision as opposed to just bootstrapping? I think that, again, goes back to the podcast that I played. A lot of the podcasts that I played for tech companies, what I learned was a lot of the tech companies that were successful, you have to raise a sizable amount of money. I think that if it was under 50K or under 30K that I was going to need, bootstrapping would have been the answer. But what I realized is to launch a scalable, platform and work with the company that was of a range of delivering good work, it was going to cost more than six figures. Also, because I'm not a technical founder, so I can't code. I don't code. I can't build the bones of this. I needed someone to do all those different things for me. And also very early on, a woman who I really admire, who's a dear friend of mine, Joy Reid, who's on MSNBC. I was in her office and we just taped the podcast that she was doing called Read This, Read That, her and Jackie Reed. And I was at that place in my life where I knew I was being called to do something else from being a journalist. And I went in her office. I was like, Joy, I got this idea. Here's the idea. 
what do you think I should do? Should I pursue it? And she was like, Chris, yes. I'll tell you why. She was like, because you live, eat and breathe TV shows and films. You go on our air, different networks, and you break down all the nuances to what's going on in the media industry as an analyst. She said, no one else is better equipped to build this. No one else is better equipped to lead this company. And she said to me, I'm going to write you your first check. I'm going to invest in you. I'm going to commit to it right now. I don't got to see a deck. I don't got to see nothing. But I'm going to tell you what you do. You go and get 10 other people like me to invest in your company. This is what those folks do that have built all the great companies. They go and they get other angel investors to match what somebody puts in. And before you know it, you have 100K or you have 200K and you have the money you need to get it all off the ground. So it was literally probably a 16-minute conversation, but it propelled me on the direction of, okay, I'm going to assemble my team of angels who are going to help me fly. And that's what I did. So can I get some friends like Joy who's going to just take that check right away? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yes. But you probably already have folks around you who would bet on you. I really believe we all have folks like that around. We just don't really realize it sometimes because we're so afraid to say what we really need sometimes. But there probably are a lot of folks around that would bet on you. I was going to say, you know what? That made me think of closed mouths don't get fed. That part. That part. So Joy was an early investor, but how has your investor journey been going? What has that been like? What experiences have you had? So as I mentioned, Joy was an early investor, but there was a period where we didn't really get any investment for a good nine months to a year. It was very, very difficult. A lot of folks, I think, weren't ready to bet on me because I didn't have a technical background and I just had all this passion brimming over. So as I discussed in the Founding in Color series, I had to go drive Lyft. I had bills to pay. I had rent due. I have a son. He's 11 now. He was like nine then. And I also had to recognize, Chris, you got to check your ego and take a job that's going to still allow you to do your pitch meetings, still allow you to go meet potential investors, give you flexibility to make this money. So I was out in these streets. I did hundreds and hundreds of Lyft rides all in and around Westchester, Jersey. I'll take folks to the airport. What I began to realize, though, Dina, was that my car wasn't just a place for me to get from A to B and then get that little ding, 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 how much money I made from each ride. But it became a place for me to really incubate the idea of pop viewers. I say I went from having shame around having this job that someone who had a college degree and who had all these great things happen to them in their career in media to be driving this little car around town. I went from shame to strategy and really recognizing that this is a focus group. This car ride that I have with these folks for sometimes 30 minutes, 40 minutes, they would be talking to me about all kinds of stuff. I begin to say, what are you watching? How did you find your latest binge? Who told you about it? And then I'm working on this thing as crazy as it sounds. Yes, I am working on this thing. Would you use it and why? Interesting. You literally turned the situation into a strategy. And I love that. That's the creative side of everything that you're doing. Yes, yes, yes. And to answer your question more thoroughly, funding has been, it's been an ongoing journey Going back to the mountain, we do still live in that three months. Like, what do we need the next three months to get up the mountain? We've had moments where we've had funding that can get us through the next year. Then we've had moments where that's not the case. I think that what COVID has done and also the looming recession and talks of recession have made getting funding a little bit more difficult. But what I always rest assured in is the meetings that we have with the big partners that we're going to be landing very soon 
the networks, the studios, the future subscribers to our analytics offering. When I get excitement from them and, and verification of what we've built and what we're growing is something that they are very, very, very interested in and more importantly, need access to. It gives me all the fuel I need to know. The funding is on the way. It's going to happen. We're going to have more than enough and, and keep my head up. And Chris, what are three lessons that you would say you've learned from your funding journey? One of them is when you're talking to investors, get personal. Don't just walk through a deck and walk through numbers and walk through spreadsheets. Tell them a story about who you are, your journey in life, what you've overcome, because that shows resiliency. Don't paint the picture that you're just like perfect and you've had the best life in the world. If that's the case, that's good. But I found for me, when I tell investors my story from my childhood and what I overcame in my childhood and how that helped really inspire me to be in this industry and more importantly, helped me realize that I could be a CEO and a founder. I've heard people say that that really made me know that you're the kind of leader that's not going to be afraid of a storm. So I say, bring the storms with you into your pitch meetings. Don't be afraid to say what you need. Most folks that are investors, they've invested probably more than they're going to invest on you and other companies because you're probably early stage when you're talking to investors, sometimes angels. Don't be afraid to say what you need. You're probably going to need more than what you initially say. And then I think the other part is someone told me, don't take no's personal. A no is a need for more information. So a lot of my investors, I'd say more than six of them, told me no. They told me no. They told me no more than once. But you have to go back sometimes. So don't take your no's personal. Don't look at no's as doors closing. I used to watch those shows in the 80s and the 90s where they used to have those swinging doors in the kitchen where it's like family matters had them and the door might hit you in the face whenever you swing it open. Just know that that's really what investor conversations are. They're they're not closed doors where they lock them. They're swinging doors. You can push them right open again and you might get another no. They're good at giving no's, but you might say something or they might see something in your journey and in your business, a little tiny, tiny, tiny turn you've made in your company that will say, all right, I'm ready to do this. So yeah, a no is not a no. It's a need for more information. Thank you for that wonderful advice. I'm sure that other founders or people who are thinking about getting on this journey will find that extremely helpful. And Chris, to wrap up today's conversation, we've talked a lot about the app, your founder's journey, funding. I want to know what would success look like for Pop Viewer? Success for Pop Viewers would be longevity. I never started this company or had this vision of us being a flash in the pan. In three years, we're going public and we're getting an acquisition. I've always envisioned us having longevity. I work for some of the biggest media companies in the country, NBC, ABC, they've all been around for 70 plus years. And people look at them sometimes as like these quick success stories. But I want Popular's to be a media platform where we're not just a social media network, but we're so much more. And I think success also is having users saying that I've had experiences on my phone, but experiences in person that have delighted me, connected me to other great individuals and inspired me. And how can myself and anyone listening to this podcast help you get to that success? Okay, so download the app, number one. We're in the Apple App Store. Spread the word. You can follow us on social media at Pop Viewers. You can follow me at Witherspoon C on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also anyone who wants to invest. I know you have folks on here who probably are investors who are listening to you. Do not hesitate to reach out to me. You can DM me on Instagram or social media, 
and just, I think more than anything, send high level positive vibrations our way. I'm all about good energy. So keep sending great energy our way. And I will do the same for you. And one final question. So based on your journey, if you could give advice for current founders or future founders, what advice do you have for them? Ooh, okay. I would say, don't be afraid of failure. Embrace failure. Look at failure as literally part of your day. Get excited about it. Get hyped by it. Know that when you're in the NBA, if you're a baseball player, you don't get most of the shots in. You know, we don't sit around and talk about Michael Jordan, how many baskets he missed, how many times he failed trying to get the ball into the basket. We discuss all those great layups, all those great dunks, and the times he got it in. And he definitely missed way more times than he ever got the ball into the basket. So recognize that being a player in this game, you have to embrace failure and look at it as part of your journey. What did I learn from that missed shot? And I'm going to get back out there. I'm going to tie my sneakers up even tighter and get back in this game and do some really impressive plays. Because we'll always remember the impressive plays, the impressive deals you do, the points on the board. But folks don't really sit back and care about the times that you've failed or struck out. So just get that mindset that it's literally a part of the journey, embrace it and have fun with it. Excellent. Excellent advice, Chris. And usually I open the floor for my guests. If there's anything additional that you would like to share with my listeners in the episode, now is the time. Just to try to be a light, you know, as a founder, recognize that you have an opportunity to be the example, to be the boss that you didn't see. So try to have that service mentality when it comes to being a leader. And I think that magical things will happen for you. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you allowing me the pleasure of sharing your story and sharing about pop viewers with my listeners. Well, Dina, thank you. You ask great questions. You bring such great energy and I would love to come back again one day. Awesome. Yes. Let's do an event together. (laughs) I'm down. I am so down. Let's do that. Thank you for listening to Black Tech Unplugged. I'm Dina McKay and you can find the show on all social media platforms under Black Tech Unplugged. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this episode. And if you have a few extra minutes, make sure to leave a five-star review too. It will help me out a lot and help other people find the podcast. Until next time.